please turn with me please turn with me to the book of proverbs chapter 3 we're going to focus on verses 1 through 6 you can find that in the uh, black bibles on page 528 <clears throat> my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So this morning, we're going to focus on these six verses. And as a way of introduction, um, as a background, I, I just want to kind of explain to you what a proverb is, and then we'll get into the word. So a proverb was a, a wise saying. It was beneficial for the recipient. It was used for uh, practical living by highlighting uh, truths and fundamental realities about life. Solomon, of course, wrote the book of Proverbs, and he wrote it around 965 to 928 BC. And it contains 915 Proverbs. First King chapter 4, verse 32 tells us that Solomon knew about 3,000 different proverbs, and 1,005 songs in his lifetime. So you can say that the book of Proverbs is Solomon's greatest hits, his most important proverbs. Wisdom literature was very important back in ancient Israel, the time of Solomon. And so other nations and cultures would also have their own wisdom literature. The difference, though, is the religious dimension, the emphasis that the book of Proverbs has that other cultures, other societies did not have in their wisdom literature. Proverbs were used in four principal settings, cultural settings. They were used for um, in the family, in the royal court, schools, and scribes and the leaders of the, the time, they would use them. So, Solomon wrote these Proverbs as a way to instruct or educate his son or children. The, they were meant to teach the child, they were meant to teach the student the importance of life principles, right? The, about life itself, the spiritual, sp social, ethical issues that would arise during their lifetime. As a footnote, it's sad to see that Solomon, who was the giver of this wisdom, and this literature eventually fell away from the Lord himself, right? He did not follow his own words and fell away from the Lord. He married women uh, from the surrounding nations and his heart turned away from the Lord when it turned towards idols and towards the idols of those who married. <clears throat> it's sad to say that the wisdom literature that he wanted to pass on to future generations for a God-honoring life left him as his heart turned away from the Lord. We can even say that Solomon was the wisest fool towards the end of his lifetime. So this morning, 
the sermon could be entitled, The Rewards of Wisdom. The Rewards of Wisdom. And we're going to look at three specific motivations that Solomon wants to point, point out to his son. And the result of listening or heeding to this advice. The first point, or the first motivation, is a heart of remembrance, which is uh, verses 1 and 2. And the result is that you will peacefully live long. The second motivation is a heart of love and truth, which is verses 3 and 4. The result being that you will be esteemed highly. And lastly, number three, a heart of trust and obedience, verses 5 and 6 and the result being that you will walk far. If we trust the Lord and follow his instructions and commandments, which is his word, then he will always direct our paths and bless us in our obedience. As we look at this passage, you're gonna see this cause and effect in the instructions that Solomon gives to his son. You're gonna see this, um, if you do this, then you will have this. You're going to see that. There's a, there is a reward for obedience. There's a reward for following the instructions. And we're going to see that as we go through the text. <clears throat> so let's look at the first point, a heart of remembrance. A heart to remember. Proverbs 3 one says, My son, do not forget my teachings or instructions, but let your heart keep my commandments. So Solomon begins this proverb by addressing his son. It's not some random person. It's not even people. He is specifically focused on his son. This makes it very personal, right? It makes it very personal. We must also understand the context of, as Solomon is instructing his child or his son, there is a, um, an urgency. There is, is this sense of pleading and desperation in, in Solomon's voice. It's not like Solomon's just sitting down with his son, just shooting the breeze, like, hey, son, let me just tell you a couple of things here and there. You know, it's, it, it's not, that, that's not the intention of Solomon, and that's not the intention of what he wants to relate to his son. There's this desperation, there's this urgency in his voice. It's like, you know, when we have children, and when we want our kids to listen, we, you know, son, daughter, stand in front of me, let me talk to you for a second. You want to, like, grab their, their face, you know, like, look at me, look at me as I'm telling you, focus on me, I need you to pay attention, I need you to listen, this is very important. And this is what Solomon is trying to tell his son, look at my face, look at me as I'm trying to explain to you. The urgency in his voice comes out in these verses. Just as Moses proclaimed the law, right, just as Moses instructed the people of Israel with the Torah, the first five books of the scripture, so here is Solomon addressing his son, instructing his son in the same way. He's telling his son, do not forget, my son, do not forget. That's how he starts out, do not forget. What is this forgetfulness? What is this forget? You know, uh, it's not, uh, I, wanna, I want you to understand, it's not that, you know, his son was physically or mentally challenged, you know, that, oh, I'm, he's just going to forget. That's not the intention of Solomon when he's reiterating, do not forget. What Solomon is trying to impress upon his son is that do not willfully or purposefully neglect my instructions or my commandments. Do not willfully or purposefully neglect. 
You know, when we, once again, when we ask our kids, when we're teaching them as they're growing up, you know, son, daughter, when you come to the crossroads and when you're going to cross the street, look both ways. Look both ways before you cross the street. Why? Because we're concerned about their well-being. We're not, when we give those instructions to our kids, we're not necessarily concerned that they're going to forget them, but we are concerned that they may willfully or, or purposefully neglect our instructions and therefore they could get hurt. And that's the, that's the difference, that he, he does not want his son to just willfully you know, forget. And not only that, but he wants his son to understand that the instructions that he's giving him are just not some random instructions, something that you know, he, Solomon wants to just share with his son, as I was saying. It's not just Solomon's preference, if you will. Solomon actually asked for this wisdom, right? In 1 Kings chapter 3, wisdom was imparted upon Solomon. It was imparted upon him by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God himself. So what he's instructing his son is from the Lord. This has far more implications than just how Solomon thinks or Solomon's preferences. Solomon makes it a point to let his son know to keep his commandments, not to forget them, but to keep his commandments. But not just keep them in his mind, but also in his heart. When something is close to our hearts, it holds meaning, it has value, does it not? So let me ask you, do you value God's commandments? Do you value God's instructions in your life? This morning, I, wanna, um, I would ask that you would do an inventory to re-examine or, or re-evaluate your walk with the Lord. See where you are. Do you keep God's instructions at the forefront of your mind? Do you meditate them on them day and night? Do you long for God's word? And when you need an answer, are you too quick or are you quick to just run to your friends or to the internet or to a book to find your answers? Not that these are bad things, but they're not the best things. The word of God does not beat around the bush, right? The word of God penetrate straight to your heart where you find your motives, where you find your intentions. It goes to the root of the matter. These are the instructions and commandments and these must have a priority in our life. We must have a high place uh, or high value and they must have a place in our hearts so that we do not turn away from our Lord, that we do not turn away from his instructions. And this is what Solomon was trying to communicate to his son. Solomon instructs his son, if you do not forget and you keep what I tell you, there is a reward, there is a big payout. You will peacefully live long, my son. You will live long and a peaceful life. So there are many instances in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, where we see that promise. One such example, uh, more, one of the more popular ones, is Exodus chapter 20 
God's command, uh, Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Do you think that maybe Solomon had this in mind as he was instructing his son? He's confirming the very promise of God, right? This is not something he made up. He's reiterating God's word to his son. In fact, even in Solomon's own life, we read in uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 14, the Lord says to Solomon, if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. He had to have taken that to heart, right? Solomon would have had to believe it himself if he was going to pass on this sort of instruction or this sort of benefit to his own son, if he believed it to be true. You will have a long and peaceful life. So what is this peace that Solomon is talking about? What is this peace? Well, this peace is not necessarily a, a quiet or a tranquil life. That's, that's not the intention of this peaceful life. The idea here is this sense of prosperity. It's actually uh, a, a sense of completeness or soundness. The result is that there is no want for anything. The Lord will bless you with a long life and prosperity will be the result of your obedience. Do you think this promise or peace of peace and prosperity can be applied to us? Can we have the same peace and that same sense of prosperity? The Lord will bless you with a long life and prosperity will be the result of your obedience. Well, the Bible tells us that we can because these promises are true for us too. But let me stop here and let me address something very quickly before we keep going. This sense of prosperity, the rewards and the blessings of prosperity is not the same as what you hear on TV today. I, wanna, I want to make sure that we understand that and that we're clear. It's not the same thing as what we find in the Christian books or self-help books. This, this sense of prosperity in the prosperity gospel of, is not found in scripture. It is nowhere in scripture. Some would argue, well, aren't we all striving for prosperity? Aren't we all striving for peace that the Bible's talking about? Aren't we all, all just, isn't it the same for everyone? Well, I just want you to know that the prosperity gospel, it's a false gospel. You need to understand that. And it advocates a cold-hearted materialism in a religious disguise. That's what it is. We're not to choose verses that only apply to us or how we can make them apply to our life. That's not the point of prosperity. We're not to use God for selfish or infantile purposes. Do you want to know what the real prosperity gospel is? It's when you can say with Paul in Philippians chapter 3, I have lost everything and I'm okay with that because I've gained Christ. I have been stripped bare. I have nothing left. All I have is Christ and I'm happy because he loves me and he alone satisfies my heart. That 
is true prosperity. That is the prosperity gospel for us. So the father is saying, listen, you're going to pay attention to something. Same with you all. You're going to pay attention to something. So pay attention to this. Only the word of God will lead you to that peace. Dear friends, let me remind you that intellect or success or your good works is not going to lead you to this peace. If you want peace, pay attention to this gospel, to pay attention to his word and its implications, his teachings and his instructions. In all the noise of this world and culture, what are you listening to? What are you pursuing? What are you working towards? And the question is, is it working for you? Are you led to false promises, or is your faith and obedience leading you into the peace and true, and true prosperity? Not physical, not monetary, but a spiritual prosperity, your relationship with your Lord. A contentment and a satisfaction that can only be found in and through Jesus Christ alone. Solomon continues his advice and tells his son in verse 3, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. A better translation for faithfulness is truth. So my second point is a, a heart of truth and love. A heart of truth and love. Son, remember the importance of steadfast love and truth and, place the, and, and the place that they should have in your life. These are two virtues he wanted his son to keep close to his heart. <clears throat> he uses this imagery of tying them or writing them, right? He wants these to be so close that they're literally infused into the very being of who he is, who the son is. Stead, uh, steadfast love, the, the word in the Bible, it, it's such a beautiful word, and it can be looked at two different ways. It could mean a joint obligation between relatives, friends, host and guest, or master and servant. It's a closeness, a solidarity, um, or loyalty. But it can also be in regards to God's relationship with people or an individual, faithfulness, goodness, graciousness. So, should steadfast love be towards the people, your brothers and sisters? Or does it mean that steadfast love should be for the Lord? Well, I think in this case, I would submit to you that it's both. Let your love for God or for the love that God has placed within you towards your brothers and sisters never leave you. The love of God must first be within us, right, before we can learn to love others. We must be right with God before we can be right with others. John 1 tells us, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The love for others becomes a natural outpouring 
of the relationship that you cultivate with God. It must. It is. He tells him not to leave truth. Not only love, but truth. So what is this truth? Well, it's obvious. The truth is the word of God. When Jesus prayed for us in John 17, he said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So he's encouraging his son to remember the law and the commandments that were given to the children of Israel. The word of God is to be your compass. It is to be your guide. In ancient Israel, um, as we read in the text earlier, they would um, tie Thing, uh, they would tie things um, or important writings around their neck or around their arms. And so this is the imagery that, that Solomon is using here. So it would be a constant reminder when you tie something around your neck, especially a writing, it would be, you would look at it. It would be almost like an ornament that you can look at. You can see it you know, in a mirror, but as, as, lo- as well as other people can see you wearing it. And it would be a constant reminder of who you are and what you believe. So think of these love, this love and truth as an ornament. He also tells his son to write this love and truth on the tablet of his heart. Once again, reiterating that not to forget. Son, do not forget. They would be etched in his mind and his heart and nothing would be able to remove them. The Lord uses this same language actually about writing the law on the hearts of his people so that they would not forget it. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 33, it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and here it is, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What a beautiful picture of how God puts the law on our hearts and in our hearts. That which penetrates our heart, right? That which penetrates our heart, that which is impressed upon our heart determines our character. It determines our motives. It begins to transform us. It begins to confirm us to be more like Christ. Once again, Solomon gives him the benefit of keeping truth and love close to his heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You will be esteemed highly, my son. Solomon tells his son to seek out this favor and good success. Uh, The Bible translation, um, or most Bible translations say that the son will find favor and good success. This implies that favor and good success will come to him. So there's this active and then there's this passive role of the individual finding the success. 
Let me give you an example. You know, there was a saying in the early days when, uh, in early days of territory expansion, basically of the United States, go west and find your fortune. When there was the 1850s, the gold rush, people ran, drove, whatever they need to do to get to California to find this fortune, to find this gold. You can look at that statement in both ways, in both an active and passive form. It's a command to go out, right? You need to go to find that fortune. You need to go west to find that gold. At the same time, if the individual does so, he will find that fortune if it's available or when it's available in the west. So there's this active and passive role coming together. You must find favor and good success by actively seeking it from man and from God. And at the same time, favor and good success will come to you as you follow his instructions and commandments. You must also understand the, the uh, cultural context. I think it's important to understand that also. See, ancient Israel was a shame and honor culture. It was based on shame and honor. It's very different and it's very contradictory to our modern Western culture or society where we you know, often exercise social control through you know, guilt and blame. The, the ancient culture was more shame and honor. So if you lost your honor, which represented everything that you were and what you believed, if you lost face, if you lost your honor, it would on, not only affect you, but it would also affect your family. It would, it would affect your place in society, actually. Shame would be heaped upon you, and you would have no worth or value among the people. So he tells his son, strive to have a place in the community through the honor that you seek and find. More importantly, seek to find honor and favor from the Lord. Lastly, we come to the last two verses and the last point. A heart of trust and obedience. A heart of trust and obedience. Solomon continues in his instruction by telling his son to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not to depend on your own understanding. Solomon thus far has instructed his son to keep his commandments close to his heart to keep steadfast love and truth close to his heart. And now he's instructing or telling his son to keep obedience to the Lord close to his heart. He's essentially telling his son to wholly depend on God, right, with a reckless abandon. You are to completely rely on the Lord. Do not rely on your own strength, your own experiences, your own wisdom. Do nothing out of your own will or by your own will. Have no confidence in your abilities. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is huge. The implication here is that you, my son, are not worthy to lead your own life. You're not worthy to lead a life that is going to be pleasing to the Lord on your own. He knows that only the Lord can empower him to follow through, but he must trust the Lord with all his heart. Wholeheartedly, he must do this. 
So let me ask you, friends. Can you say that you trust the Lord with all your heart? Can you say that you wholeheartedly trust the Lord? A uh, professor in seminary told this story about his father who was uh, traveling on a cold winter's day. And uh, he came to a river and he needed to cross it. But his father wasn't sure how thick the ice was. So he got down on his hands and knees and began to crawl, right? He started to go across the river, just gingerly feeling his way, listening for you know, cracking sounds, listening for anything that would you know, indicate whether the ice was safe or not. And all of a sudden, he heard this, this loud clatter, this, this racket coming up from behind him. It was a man on a wagon pulling, on four horses pulling the wagon. And this man was just driving these horses, just whipping them into a frenzy as they drove by him on this river, on this frozen river, without a care or concern. You see, the guy on the horse, or the guy in the wagon, was a local and he knew how thick the ice was. Too many Christians today are like that man on all fours, just gingerly feeling their way through life, just being very cautious. Their trust in the Lord is half-hearted. Then along comes this wholehearted Christian, and he changes everything and everyone around him. What kind of a Christian are you? You know, none of us want to be half-hearted, right? Are you living for Christ all out? Are you all out living for Christ? I want to tell you this morning that you can trust the Lord with all your heart. You can. Even when things shame you, even when you know, things terrify you or hold you back, no matter the circumstance or season in life, let your full weight down on him. Our God is faithful. He is. And he will never fail anyone who trusts him radically and wholeheartedly. He's not, a, he's not a pseudo savior, and we do not have a pseudo faith. He is who he claims to be. Remember Jesus, who himself offered himself completely for our sake in obedience to the Father. He wholeheartedly did it, not half heartedly. What our Lord demands from us, what he demands from us, is your total trust in the Lord and mercy and wisdom of God in Christ alone. That's what he demands. That's what he deserves. He deserves and demands your total trust in the love and mercy and wisdom of God in Christ alone. 
And we must, we must trust him if we are to grow. We must trust him where he leads us. And where he leads us is for our good and for his glory. Once again, the result. And when you trust him in this manner, you will walk far, my son. You will walk far. Son, when you obey and acknowledge him, he will make your paths straight. Not only when there are troubles, not only when there are crises in your life, but also during your peaceful and joyful times in your life. So when are you to acknowledge him? You are to acknowledge him at all times. You are to know him at all times. When we acknowledge the Lord, we know him personally. We know him intimately. Going back to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. The verses, verse says that when the Lord puts the law on their hearts, here's verse 34, they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. You want to know the Lord in an intimate way? then you need to acknowledge him in all your ways. When you acknowledge the Lord in this way, he will make your path straight. And not only will he make your path straight to walk on, but the paths will actually be smooth for you to walk on. It will be pleasant. It will be peaceful. It will be joyful. You will not have a worry. You will not have a care. Why? Because the Lord goes before you. The Lord is with you. Now, this does not mean, back to reality, this does not mean that we're not going to have problems in our life. We live in a sinful world, right? This is not a perfect world, and we are not perfect by any means or imagination. So we will have difficulties, and we will have trials, and we will have temptations. And we are to expect these difficulties. C.S. Lewis gives us a sober reminder of this. He writes, The settled happiness and security which we all desire, God withholds from us by the very nature of the world. But joy, pleasure, and merriment he has scattered broadcast, meaning he's given to everyone. We are never safe, but we have plenty of fun and some ecstasy. It is not hard to see why. The security we all crave would teach us to rest our hearts in this world and oppose an obstacle to our return to God. A few moments of happy love, a landscape, a symphony, a merry meeting with our friends or a football match have no such tendency. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant inns, but will not encourage us to mistake them home. Let me remind you that circumstances should not dictate our attitude, should not dictate our purpose, our direction on our journey, because we are trusting in the Lord with all our hearts. Think of Abraham. When the Lord called him out 
he had no idea where he was going, right? He knew no, he, he had no indication of where the Lord was going to take him, but he trusted him to make his path straight. It was not an easy walk. It was not an easy journey. In fact, we read in Hebrews of the great men and women of faith and their walk with the Lord. The Lord directed their paths, right? But when you look from the outside and as you observe their life and what they went through, you know, they weren't all necessarily smooth. Yet they were still obedient. Yet they were still faithful on their journey, on their path. And their path led them straight to their eternal home. Their reward may not have been exactly what they wanted here on earth, but they had a better reward waiting for them in glory. So how do we apply these words of Solomon in our lives and in our circumstances? These verses, when you look at them, sure seem like God is out to bless you, right? And, and that we might even feel entitled. We might even feel entitled, you know, for peace or for prosperity. Lord, I'm doing all these things. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this for you. But there's more to these verses than that. Yes, yes, the promises of God are true. Yes, they are. And he's faithful to his word. Yes, what Solomon is telling his son of the benefits and blessings that he will receive if he follows these instructions are true. But it does not always mean that just because we follow the prescription of Solomon and what he prescribed, that we will get what we want. That's not the point. That is not the point. The question you must ask is not so much what can I get out of this, but how can God be glorified? How can he be glorified in how I follow him in the instructions and commandments that he has given to us and to me. The focus should be on how to bring glory and honor to God. The focus is to be obedient to God's word. Listen, friends, this life right now is not our best life now. It's not. If it was, then we have no hope for the future. Even if we were to follow Solomon's instructions perfectly, without compromise, nothing in this world guarantees us a sin-free, trouble-free life. When you think about it, our hearts and minds are to be like of Christ, right? Ready and eager to please the one we serve no matter what the circumstance. And isn't it amazing that Christ is our example? You know, as I thought about this passage, I couldn't, I couldn't help but think about the son. I couldn't help but, you know, get into his shoes, into his skin, if you will. And, I, I, you know, here's the father giving these instructions to his son. Son, do these things. 
so that you can please the Lord, that you can honor the Lord, that you can have these things in your life. And yet, his own father could not keep his own instructions or commandments. Solomon could not talk the talk and walk the walk. He failed to live what he preached. What, what hope did the son have? What example did the son have? Dad, you're telling me to do these things, but I mean, I see what you've done and what you are doing. Well, dear, you know, when I thought about that, it actually was discouraging. It was really sad. But can I tell you that there is good news? That it just doesn't end there? We have an example. We have an example. We have a role model who we can look up to. Christ followed every word that Solomon instructed and commanded and that is written in Proverbs. He was the better commandment. He was the better instruction. He was the better Solomon. Yet he suffered. He was persecuted. And he was rejected. But he did not sin. The, t- uh, the Bible tells us Christ had, a, had peace, that he obtained honor from God and man, that he trusted his father to make a way for him. And now, Jesus Christ is our way. He's our truth and our life. If you trust in him, if you repent of your sins and acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior, he will bring to life the words and instructions of Solomon in your life. He fulfilled all the law and the commandments. He followed the instructions without compromise or fail. Listen, friends, it's a matter of obedience and trust. That's what it is. It's a matter of understanding our purpose and direction of our life according to his will for our life. Solomon was wise in giving his son these instructions. He was. But his son never had the example of the one who has already followed those instructions. And so to make these words real and meaningful for our lives. I hope you will reflect on these words of Solomon and examine where you are in your walk in relationship with the Lord. That you will not willfully and purposefully neglect the instructions in your life. I hope it will rekindle the passion and pursuit for our Lord and his word in your life. When you dwell on this truth, I hope it will stir affections, new affections for Christ and make you appreciate all that he has accomplished for us and on our behalf. It should make you want to give God glory, to worship him for his plan and purpose for your life. It should make you want to become more intimate and to walk closer with him. 
as he directs your path, no matter the circumstances. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, may we have a high view for your word. May we have a high view of who you are. But it is only by your grace and the love for your word that will allow us to grow in our walk. It is only a matter of working. It's, it, it's not a matter, actually, of working out our salvation through what we do or accomplish. Lord, or thinking that I can do this or I can do that or that I could be more godly. Lord, it's not about that. It is only through trusting in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, and as we meditate on this and communicate with you by reading and applying your word, that we will please you and honor you and be able to glorify your name. Lord, we know that we will only spiritually prosper and find peace and walk in a manner worthy of your calling when we do this and when we follow your instructions and your commandments. We thank you for the godly examples of those who have run before us. Help us, Lord, to lay aside every weight to trust you and help us to repent of any sin which hinders us so that we may run with endurance the race that is set before us and on the path with that which you have put us on. Amen. <laughs>